welcome to Just Dads Reading Books, a podcast about judging your kids for what they read. This is produced by Matt Martins and EJ Sanders. Music by Russian Baths. So we're on the road right now. Um, it's a big thing you should know for this episode. Uh-huh. Um, this was your idea. Yeah, this was my idea. I just wanted to kind of like if the audio quality is weird, no, the audio quality is bad. And, like it's fine. Yeah. Like it's going to be bad audio quality, but we're fine with it, and you're fine. With you it. listener are in the car with us, and that's why it sounds like that. Right. Okay. So I'm excited though, um, because we're going to Gen Con, man. We are. I'm. Very, this is going to be a funny Gen Con, which is why. We have the least we've ever specifically had to do at a Gen mm-hmm. Con, which is why this Gen Con is full of ideas like this. Right. <laughs> this is the Gen Con where we are doing a bunch of odd things. We basically. should say too that we we should say too that we have recorded three podcasts today. today. Yeah. We've done yeah. at least two hours worth of podcasts. Right. Uh, a little over that. Right. And so then I was like, hey, Matt, how about another, how about more? Uh, you know, indefinite amount of time? Uh, we've trapped each other in this car. What yeah. else are we doing but talking to each other? And what is a podcast if not primarily just guys in cars? Two people, just, just guys, guys in cars. In cars. Oh, yeah. Just two people talking to each other about something, probably. Or perhaps sometimes there are also, I guess, investigative studies about very important things. That happens occasionally. Yeah. But not in not in not this, in this network. Car. Not in this car. Not with these creators. This is just a <laughs> show about two dads talking to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think the vibe we're going for this week's episode is just we're just gonna chill out. Um, and we're just gonna kinda chat about our childhood okay. a little bit. I wanted to chat about you want to know more about me? Well, yeah, you know, I, you EJ. Yeah. I mean, we didn't. So one thing that listeners you should know is like Matt and I weren't friends until really later in life. Uh Um, you know, we, we started being acquaintances around like 2014, 2013, 2014. We had known each other and by known, I mean, I knew of Matt in high school. Right. I knew of EJ in high school. Matt knew of me. Uh, you know, I'm pretty popular. We are two years apart. So we were in high school at, right. Uh, we were in high school at the same time, times, but yeah, but basically the same time. Yeah, we were there at the same time, but not necessarily in the same social circles. I was in your sister's grade. Yeah, no, you weren't. No, I was a year no, no, after she, your sister. Yeah, no, you were a year over my sister. Oh, yeah. So my so it's you and then my sister and then me. You and your sister are only one year apart. Isn't that nuts? That is one crazy. year. One year, two weeks, three days, four Whoa. days. Anyways, yeah. So we're uh, yeah, we were almost born within the same calendar year. It was wow. very close. My mom. Uh, you know, got pregnant with me shortly after she had a child. That's really, crazy. I know it's insane. Uh, I don't, it, and God bless her. Honestly. Um, she's a great Did person. Did you like having a sister that was a year older than you? Yeah. Or we were, were two adversaries. Well, we were, you know, it's, it's a little of both, right? You get a little, you get a little one with the other. I, yeah. We're close in terms of like, we really care about each other. That's you know? good. It's, it's one of those deals. Like we don't always speak anymore. Um, mm-hmm. but it's not like, it's not like if we were to go over, you know, if we were to start chatting, we could pick up, you know, Sure. it's not uh, an unhealthy relationship. We did need some time away from each other being so close. Yeah. I right. think we've spent a lot of our adult lives just kind of like, yeah, we were so close for so long. Like we don't need to be. Yeah. You were forcibly it. close. So time to distance for a little bit it and was, then find your way back. It was partly it. that we lived out in the middle of nowhere. We only had like one 
uh, neighbor, um, yeah. and they had like two children, and they were, you know, one boy, one girl also. Oh, wow. And so it was like we were forced to be friends with them too. Yeah. Not not that they weren't good people. They were great people. They were better yeah. people than us, even <laughs> better people than me, I should say. But uh, still, a forced friend is a forced friend. Yeah, yeah. It's still like, yeah, there's you know, you're not really want for choices, right? So it's <laughs> yeah, it was it was a little bit tough. Um, you know, we grew up in Bella Vista and back when Bella Vista was nothing. Truly to, the woods. Truly backwoods yeah. country. I make jokes about living in the woods, mm-hmm. but honestly, it's not too bad. It's a little it's oh, a living little in the woods removed. is great. Living in the woods can be can be great unless you want internet. You know what? Our internet really wasn't that bad growing up. Nah, you didn't know any better. I didn't know any better. You know what? You're right. Actually, <laughs> the, the biggest thing is that I didn't know any better because we had to share. We only had one computer, so yeah. it wasn't like I was sitting there like oh, I gotta have internet. And I didn't play online video games. Right. Like I only played offline video games. I got made fun of whenever like the new Call of Duties came out because yeah. I was still playing like the ones that were like older. Yeah. Uh, like Call of Duty 2. Right. And, right. and I love that game. I was like, yeah, I love this game. And I would talk about Call of Duty 2 with people and they were like, we're talking about like playing online with yeah. friends. And I was like, I don't know what that means. That's how I was, man. Yeah. I, I, we had LAN parties. We would play, my experiences of stuff like Halo were playing with LAN parties. Halo 2 was known for going online, but I, I was not online with everybody else. We didn't have all that. I, I didn't start playing online stuff until uh quite a few years later so yeah same basically my parents were not yeah. uh advocates of technology and we did not have a regularly up-to-date technological household i didn't have a dvd player until probably five years after everybody else had a dvd player yeah i, I think it's not unlike a lot of kids from our area yeah. i mean we grew up in a pretty interesting spot in the world yeah. <laughs> You know, a a place where people get drawn to, um, you know, it's a very capitalistic part of the the -hmm. world. It's drawn, you know, you drew, we're we're from Walmart. Um, We're from Walmart town. (laughs) We're from Walmart uh, town. Where they forced people to move. Anybody who sold anything in Walmart, like if a product is available in Walmart, you have to live in the town EJ and I are from. Right. You, you have to have an office. There's there. a vendor. You have at least yes. an office there with somebody working there physically. Right. That at least was the thing then. I don't it's know. Still, if that's, it's still a thing. Yeah, um, they, they did. I mean, it, it was successful for Walmart in order to make sure that they could ensure good business relationships and all that. Yeah. I'm not going to get into the logistics of it. I work for Walmart currently. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a fine job. Uh, whatever. Uh, nobody needs to know about that. But yeah, growing up, growing up, um, everybody you knew worked for, you know, their parents yeah. worked for Walmart uh, or they worked for a vendor for Walmart. Right. There was no in between. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, you know, me and my sister were, were pretty close. Uh, Matt and I didn't really become friends uh, until, until a little bit later in life. Yeah. And then, yeah, we decided... Uh, we would become best friends. Best friends. Now we're best friends. Now we're and best now friends. Now we're on the road to Gen process Con. of elimination. Uh huh. EJ and I grew closer as all of our friends moved away. Yes. And with each friend that moved away, mm-hmm. we grew. we were then the two still hanging we're almost, out. We're going to be conjoined twins. Soon, yeah, exactly. We'll insane. just keep fused. We'll yeah. do a we'll do a Dragon Ball Z fusion, fusion dance. dance. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully we don't eventually mess it up. become Matij. Yeah. And it'll all be great. <laughs> Matij. <laughs> Matij. Uh, yeah, we we started becoming friends mostly because of board games. I mean, it's the reason like a thing like I mean, Space Twilight Cats brings yeah. us together is because Twilight Imperium was the game we were playing just as a group. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, both Hunter and I were closer with someone like Alex 
and then someone like Connor in it. I mean, it really was. It's interesting how it's been like a all roads lead it's really to been EJ. A, it's really been a fight to the top for yeah. me. You know? <laughs> I've really had to battle through some some lesser bosses. A real Scott Pilgrim yeah. situation where I just like I was like I got to be friends with these guys, uh-huh. but I got to get through all these other mini bosses. All these other nerds. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, Matt and Hunter moved to Portland, and I actually, it's funny, they moved to Portland, and then I became really good friends with them, because I yeah. would, uh, I basically just, like, pro bono labor decided to help them out in any yeah. way I could. Sure. So, anytime they came to town, you know, we, essentially, the Holiday Spectacular, if you're not a Space Cats fan, uh, this is going to mean nothing to you, so... For all of all two of you, I can't imagine that's very fans. many people. I can't imagine almost <laughs> anybody know, listens that. to this show and isn't at least somewhat knowledgeable but, I mean, we, about Space Cats. We talk I, exactly right. It's the it's the biggest podcast in the network of podcasts we have. So, um, if if you know about Space Cats, it's you hilarious know about that our most niche podcast is like the hub. Yeah, all the other, and then you our generic, our be. other generic <laughs> shows are the ones where it's like, well, if you're a Space Cats fan and you like books, right? Then and children, and children. <laughs> do you like books? Do you like children? Do you like reading books to children? And that's you why go. you're here. So yeah, hopefully your own children. Please don't go to the park and read books. <laughs> Unless it's approved children. I do encourage I do encourage that. Yeah. Books to children in parks, but that's only true. And in libraries. Only if and in drag. I, appro- I approve of that. I approve as well. of drag readings in parks of books. It's fine. I'll it's say fine. that out loud. I'll say it out loud. And I have. And we did. Uh yeah, so me and Matt became friends a little bit later. And now, like I said, as I've worked my way to the top, I'm gonna be CEO one day. Of my friends. Of your friends. <laughs> of Matt's friends. I'm gonna be CEO of Matt's friends. <laughs> Uh, before this trip is over. Yes. Uh, that's my goal. So, uh, yeah. So we decided to record this episode because, Matt, I really wanted to pick your brain kind of just about like how you got into, you know, you and me have both had a sordid history with books. You know? uh-huh. And I think I think it would be interesting for our listeners to maybe hear a little bit about like, you know, what your relationship with books was when you were much younger. You know, yeah. I want you to start like back to your earliest memories of reading, reading anything, you know, even if it's pamphlets, Mm. Uh, I just want to know like, you know, what your take was on reading growing up. It's hard for me to remember a lot of picture books. I very specifically remember this one book that I would always, for some reason, read when the power went out. If the power went out and the flash and we, and the family busted the flashlights out, we had this book about a mouse Yeah, and I don't remember what it was called. And I can't even really remember details of it. I just have it in my brain Yeah, that this mouse book was what I read when the power was out. I did it every single time. Weird habits like that of children. Uh, I remember, I remember the giving tree by Shel Silverstein as a kid. It's a good one. And I don't know that I remember very many other kids books there was some stuff in libraries stuff we've covered like stinky cheese man Mm -hmm. and and the real frog prince or the true story of the frog prince i should say uh those are books that specifically uh, i remembered reading as a kid but i don't really specifically remember a lot of books until i'm a little bit older and my dad starts wanting me to read the hobbit and douglas adams my dad really wanted to push Douglas Adams on me 
as a kid, or, or maybe I had a mild interest in them. And my, and my dad was just like, cool. Cause back in those days, the covers of Hitchhiker's Guidebooks were that green planet given, given the crazy face and, oh, and yeah, all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like a weird cartoony looking character. Looks cartoony. Yeah. yeah and I think it that is kind of cartoony in a way right. too. A I bit. think it caught my eye. And so I specifically remember reading those books around second to fourth grade right. age and specific uh, uh, enough to even by fourth grade. Was it fourth grade? Ooh, maybe it was sixth grade. Let me get my brain strapped in. Uh, I think in, by sixth grade, I was reading the third Hitchhiker's Guidebook, The Life of the Universe and Everything. Mm-hmm. And I did a book report about that. Like in, in, the, in my English class, we had to do book reports. And I specifically remember doing a book report about that book. And that's maybe even like my earliest really, really concrete like book memory. I remember reading The Hobbit as a kid, but I don't have like like really clear cut right. images of reading books of reading The Hobbit as a kid. But I do remember reading uh, Life, the Universe, and everything. Huh. Uh, and I don't know if I like. I remember other books around that time. Like that was when Harry Potter was really big, and I remember my brother reading Harry Potter, and I read like. You read Holes? Or I read like a couple of Holes. Them. I didn't read Holes till I was older, though. Holes really? when the movie came out. Okay. I didn't. So that. that I guess I was a little bit older. That was probably seventh or eighth grade. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I have what what I remember from my house because it's still on my shelves. Here's the other big touchstones of my youth. In absolutely in fourth grade, I know in fourth grade I was reading Captain Underpants. That's when those books were coming out. I specifically remember like. I don't know that reading Rainbow covered Captain Underpants, <laughs> but I remember whatever we watched in my school right. of like, here's this this month's or this year's Scholastic Book Fair. Yeah. I remember the year that Captain Underpants was the big deal yeah. at the Scholastic Book Fair because it, it was, was the huge. biggest like deal in the world. Everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. So I remember that. I remember growing up with just my family owned a lot of Dr. Seuss books and Berenstein Bears books. Uh, very specifically, the I don't remember the name of it, but it's the one where it's a old, maybe it's literally just called the old spooky tree or something like okay. that, where I just remember that book having a specific layout where you could like see the whole tree and it was like a series of rooms and stuff. And and maybe that was my first, fa- I'm, I'm putting this together right now, my first fascination with maps, yeah. basically, because that's what this page was, was like, here's every room they it's like at the end of the book you get to see the whole tree and every room they went through right see it all mapped out and i was obsessed with that i loved reading that book getting to the end seeing the map putting all the pieces together of the spatial relationship between each thing that like really triggered something in my brain unlocked <laughs> unlocked some sort of thing in my in my memory so yeah i think those are my most stark touchstones of of books the the dr seuss book i would say I remember the most of is, is it maybe called Freaky Friday? I don't okay. know. Uh, but it's, it's another one with a lot of like map page, like a, a huge spread. And it's almost like a, not like a Where's Waldo, but not that far off where right. really weird right, things right, are going right. on and you're intended to find the weird things going on on the page. Okay. And I would, I was very invested in that book. So those are, I think the ones I remember the most. Well, I want to go back to Captain Underpants. Yeah. Just, how marketing worked on us. I know. As children. Like, because if you think about 
If you think about those book fairs, that was like the only thing that was plastered anyway. That's the only way to find out about books at yeah. that age. So it was is, like it's just scholastic book fairs. Right. Like, well, I mean, it's like they encouraged us to use the library, but like sure. when? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know when I'm, I'm in classes. I'm in class. There was library time. I get, basically. I get in a line and I go to the library, and then during library time they had me doing something. Yeah. It's like I'm busy during Usually. that time. Yeah. I'm busy right now, Miss Pope. Very rare. Miss Pope, I'm talking Pope. to you. <laughs> It's very rare to like find time to just sit there and peruse the library as a kid. Yeah, when? Like, yeah. was I supposed to go after school to the library? Right. Like, I, I didn't know that. No one, no one articulated yeah. that to me. Like, and my mom picked me up right after school, or I was gonna miss my bus. Yeah, one or the exactly. other. Yeah, it's like bus, bus for me. Was, like, I how had am to I go and get on the bus? What am I supposed to do? Just walk in there and look for books? No, no, never. Not me. That's not ever. That's an not the EJ I know. Yeah, it's not the EJ. So you know what? It's not the EJ I know either. I know. So for me, it's <laughs> for me, it's uh, like you said, uh, the Dr. Seuss books, uh, really yeah. early age. I think those were great. Um, those were just around. You know what I well, mean? Well, we had we had all. Yeah, we, we we had a lot. I feel like I always had the off brand stuff, though. Like, we had the remember. well, we had the Golden Spine books. You know, the oh, the, the Golden, Golden Spine. books. It's yeah. like the, the Disney ones, the Gold Board books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the Gold Board books. Yeah, Gold we had board? Those. Gold, whatever. I don't, I don't know what they about. are. I don't, we also had these books that were really cool, and I wish I could find them. In fact, I want to do a series on them. Uh, it was all the letters and all of the digits uh, hmm. of numbers, but it was like a book about each. Interesting. There's one book for each, and we used to have the whole collection. I don't Weird. know what happened to those, but I really liked those, too. Um, so, yeah, so from a young age, I, I I felt like I was reading a little. You know, yeah. I wasn't like I wasn't like averse to books. But, yeah, yeah right when we, we started getting to chapter books... And I just felt like I, I kind of missed the boat yeah. on chapter books. I feel, right. felt like I wasn't, you know, as invested. Of course, I read Captain Underpants. Who didn't read Captain yeah, Underpants? Yeah, The marketing was there. If you're of our age range, you, you were probably forced to read Captain Underpants, basically, by yeah, your they, friends. <laughs> yeah, right. They were like, you, you're you out on this. You like, got to read it. You got to read it to understand it. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, I think my relationships with books really just started to fade. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I became like a journalism major, which is wild. Because right? I, I How like, did that happen? Where'd that well, interest come from? Well, it was like later, like I said, like when I got to college, what happened to me was I went to community college first, yeah. which great step. You should, children, you do, that. do that. Go to community Don't college. Anyone it's convince cheap. You it's a bad idea. It's a great way So to do cheap. It. You get an associate's degree, yeah. maybe, unless you're me. It's the exact same classes you're going to take your first two years of college anyways. Right. So just go get your basics out of the way and then go to a four-year school for two years. Yeah. Transfer all those credits up to an in-state school. Trust me, I'm a doctor. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. I didn't go to I went to school long enough to be a doctor and did not actually get any degree at all. So But yeah, from there I went to so I was I thought I wanted to be a math major when I mm. got to Yeah, because my grandfather was a math mathematician that's cool uh so i was like well i want to do that i think i don't know and the answer was i didn't know what i wanted really uh i did a semester of that and then immediately what like as soon yeah. as i was done with my final trig exam i walked straight to the uh to the office to change my major <laughs> I, I was like this is not this is for insanely hard me yes yeah i realized i don't have i have a little dumb dumb brain yeah and I, and that's when i had to like start to really search so i became a theater major for a while yeah um which was kind of useless for me i didn't like other theater majors yeah uh, which i think is a common theme amongst theater majors but yeah. the reason i didn't like them is because they just all had like, I, I don't feel like I had a very big ego 
but I felt like everybody around me had a big ego. Yeah. And maybe that's the feeling a lot of folks get whenever they're theater majors. And maybe I was projecting a lot onto those folks, but either way, it wasn't an environment that I wanted to be a part of. I didn't want to be a part of an environment where everybody thought they needed to be the lead in everything all the time. Right. You know, it's like, dude, we need some people to play you know, backup parts. roles yeah. like or not be in it at all. You know, like right. you're going to have that kind of attitude, you know, so. Yeah. It just, it just, you know, it's still, that's still such a formidable age. You know, people think that, people think that when you get to college, you're done, like, you know, you're done molding your brain, but really you're You're like, starting. You're really <laughs> starting to learn how to learn, right? The, all up until high school, what you're being taught is how to make your brain moldable. Yeah. And then you do the molding of your you brain. You do the molding. Yeah. So I'm, that. so I'm, so I'm molding out there, you yeah. know, I'm molding my brain, um, and I finally, after a couple of years of doing theater major stuff, I, I realized it's not really what I want. Yeah. Um, and I started taking like creative writing classes and I started yeah. taking, started taking lit classes and I started to realize that I like, I love this stuff. Right. Like I really started to love, uh, some of the literature we were reading. We were reading a lot of short stories, uh, in, in school, heart of darkness, things like that. Just mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of portrait of an, artist as a young man, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. Uh, we have these big anthologies uh, that we would read through in a semester. And I read The House Gun by Nadine Gordimer and uh, all these other different books. And it opened up my perspective. I started to have a less shallow perspective on the world, it felt like. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting how becoming more well-read makes you just so much more educated in everything innately it's just yeah. innate yeah it's just crazy experiencing just stories even if they're like trashy pulp stories still widen your perspective in some way because you become invested in somebody else outside yourself and yeah. that is a required element of human development exactly like it's one of the things that i've really started to appreciate you know we're in the middle of our series of unfortunate events stuff yeah and i just really appreciate lemony snicket for nurturing children through that kind of process right Right. he's talking people through the process of reading and learning and being educated and how to be educated and and what it takes to to reach those levels Mm -hmm. that you need to be at whenever you do get to more difficult reading levels yeah um i think that it's just so it's such a smart way to introduce children who are averse to to reading like i was when i was younger or right around the age i started reading the series of unfortunate events stuff right. to, to translate that to me being older and me appreciating those books for basically showing me the roadmap to how to enjoy books going forward. Yeah. It's like a media literacy course. Yes. I mean, literally for, for like a, for like a nine year old. Right. It is media literacy. Basically he's teaching you how various books are structured. He's referencing stuff. He's giving you touchstones. You're not going to know where it's supposed to be touchstones. You already had. This is what I think about with uh, children's cartoons all the time. Right. Children's cartoons love to primarily be episodes that are references to movies. Right. I remember watching a Rugrats episode that was it's a wonderful life yeah. but it just was a, it, and and that was the first there was one that was the good the bad the ugly yeah. yeah and you experience that story and then later in your life you watch it's the a real life. one yeah. you're like wait a second yeah, that's what like it's that. all along and that i mean series of unfortunate events is doing that all the time he's constantly dropping i started the grim grotto and the book is called the queequeg yep and that's 
and he and they mention Herman Melville by yeah. name, and you're like, oh, okay, we're gonna get there. We're eventually. just gonna do that. Someday we'll do Moby Dick or whatever, and like. He's he's planting all these seeds for you to get excited about later in your life when you read the thing. You're like, wait a second, Sonny. In this That's last when book, Sonny in, said the thing. In, yeah. in the slippery slope, she at one point, whenever they're trying to escape, at the very end, she yells instead of yelling toboggan, she yells rosebud. Yeah, and that's a Citizen, Citizen Kane, Kane reference. And then Hilarious. later on, they're like, we like, what what do we do? And she says, Godot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I and Lemony, and Lemony Snicket, Lemony Snicket s- sits there and says, which in this case means something along the lines of, "There's nothing we can do, yeah. or there's nothing, you know, we <laughs> don't know where to go or what to do." Too good, man. Yeah, but even within that stuff, even within it just being Easter eggs, it is also like setting you up. He references his friends yeah. pretty often, which are other authors, yeah. and, and those are always like the thematic elements he's incorporating into the book. He really wants you to read these books and then go on to read bigger, more interesting books. And he's priming you for reading things that also don't make you comfortable, keep you comfortable. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. He's priming you for Get books you that out challenge. Of the, yeah. They're, they're, they are challenging. I mean, yeah. the, the, just the structures alone are very challenging. I mean, in this last one, it's, you know, he's expecting you to keep up with kind of a lot of going on yeah. you know there's right. these two brand new characters that you are trying to track Just you know he's almost getting you ready well not maybe not to this extent but he's getting you ready for some gravity's rainbow you know he's like <laughs> he's like ready for you to be like you read gotta, some books. all right you gotta talk about your obsession with gravity's rainbow i love you, gravity's rainbow you reference gravity's rainbow about as often as a person can yeah well it's it's one of those things when you've read gravity's rainbow you're allowed to talk about uh-huh. it as much as you want there's your life before gravity's it's rainbow a, and your life after it's gravity's a difficult rainbow. it's mostly just because of how difficult it is yeah like i, I could really here's fun. the thing about gravity's rainbow i could tell you kind of overarchingly what it's about uh-huh um but it doesn't the, the the point of gravity's rainbow isn't that it's that it's about anything really it's it's set in a world where there's a nuclear bomb essentially Mm -hmm. that exists there's a a great one there's like a big bomb that exists okay and the whole story centers around the intrigue of this bomb existing and how we can get to it essentially Uh to there's like a faction of people who are creating the bomb there's like Uh a faction of people who are trying to you know get the intel intel on the bomb Uh some people are trying to disarm the bomb you know it's it's very much centered around this one central figure, but it's about all sorts of other stuff. And also there's 600 characters. Yeah. (laughs) There's like 700 pages and 600 characters. So it's like, who cares? Like it's, it's just mostly like a romp through this kind of weird time period. Yeah. Um, And I think Pynchon really just wanted to make a lot of different points. Yeah. Uh, You know, there's like a whole chapters where he's just rambling on about the Kenosha King. And like that doesn't mean anything to you. Yeah. See, like, but yeah. it doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> Actually, that chapter is really cool. So let me tell you about the Kenosha. <laughs> this is now Gravity's Rainbow podcast. Yeah, yeah. So Gravity's Rainbow. So this is not one for children. This is for adults. Uh, first off, because there are some themes in this book. So if you don't know anything about Gravity's Rainbow, the one thing you might know is that it was supposed to win a Pulitzer Prize. Uh huh. And it did not win a Pulitzer Prize because of something that happens in this book that I cannot discuss on this podcast. Okay. All right. Essentially, it. it's a very graphic scene that okay. happens in this book um, that I can't block. discuss. You should just Pulitzer. research it if you're an adult. Just research what happens in the book. Yeah. But essentially, 
the Pulitzer Prize, I think it's the Pulitzer Prize, the Pulitzer Prize committee was like, this has won the Pulitzer Prize and we will not award it this year. <laughs> it's it's kind of how it was. It's like when it came to voting, they recognized uh-huh. that Gravity's Rainbow should win the Pulitzer Prize, but they could not bring themselves to But it, it gave actually. us the heebie-jeebies. Oh, it's more than the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that. It's, yeah. It is truly a disgusting scene that's in this book. Gotcha. But anyways, uh, there's, yeah, there's like a whole chapter, though, about the Kenosha Kid, which is a really interesting chapter where he just play. he does like a Meisner with, do you know, uh-huh. uh, like, have you heard of the Kenosha Kid is the line. Okay. And essentially what he does is he tells like 18 different stories hmm. and they all end with this same line. Interesting. And that's the whole chapter. That's the whole that chapter. Over and over. And again. it's just like experimental writing, right? Yeah. So, so there are chapters like that. There are chapters where out of nowhere, like some really weird stuff just breaks out. Like they'll just be on like a cruise ship and then like something like wild happens. And then everybody in the cruise ship is like doing the same thing. It's Mm. just like weird. They just, like I said, with gravity's right. I know that this isn't a gravity's rainbow podcast (laughs) and I'm not even suggesting you read it, but if you are somebody who has read it, you might know where I'm coming from whenever I get to bring it up all the time yeah. because yeah. I'm now an elitist that has read this <laughs> stupid book. You made it through it. It's yeah. A de- yeah, if you make it, it's yeah, it's mostly like a war of attrition sure. with reading. And honestly, for somebody like me who, you know, wasn't very, you know, who is admittedly not very well read. Yeah. And, you know, even today. Yeah. What a weird book for you to dive into as right. a non-literature person. Right, right, right. Yes, exactly. So. Yeah, as somebody who was patently not into books, to read that book, I think, is hilarious. Yeah. And I think that that's mostly, most of the things that I say about that book are just in reference to it as a joke. As if yeah. as if there's nothing that's really there for you to latch on to, yeah. because there's nothing really there in that book to latch on to. But anyways, Matt, I want to talk a little bit more. Let's, let's get off of books for a bit. Oh, okay. So you and me have been... Uh, We've taken up a new hobby (laughs) in our daily lives. (laughs) So a couple years ago, so really about 10 years ago, I started playing disc golf. Yeah. And I really took a liking to it, but I didn't ever really fall in love with it back then. Yeah. It was just like kind of another thing that I did. Was it just you or like your dad getting you into it? No, so it was me and my buddy Jeff and another friend of ours. um, And we would always go play. Okay. Um, And we would just... Like we weren't very good, really. Sure. But we would play, and we were competitive with each other, and we liked to play. Mm-hmm. But we never—I never had more than like six or seven discs. Yeah. Mostly because I didn't really understand what all the discs were. For. That's where I'm at still. It's yeah, it's where you're at still. Which you're going to be there for a while, right? Yeah. Like it's something that you really have to commit your brain to, right? Yeah. So you, it, it really is funny. Uh, people who knock on sports, you know, and not listen. I dunk on sports all the time. <laughs> I'm the, if anybody dunks on sports, in fact, for a long time when I was a theater major, I had to get good at dunking on sports because theater, there's nothing theater majors so hate more yeah. than sports, right. which be, meant that I had to pretend like I hated sports. Uh-huh. And I felt even though your whole, you're like <laughs> my family, your yeah. whole family is sports family, right? My dad was a sports writer for 20 years. Yeah. So it, it was definitely me not being myself. And that's another reason I changed majors to journalism because yeah. I could be my, own person yeah. like you know and i was so worried about what other people thought about me don't worry about what other people think of you kids <laughs> don't worry about that stuff that this stuff does not matter but uh yeah back to disc golf so yeah so uh, a couple of years ago i got back into it though and i really started getting serious about yeah it. like i was like i really want to learn 
how to manipulate and throw these things, you know, to so, where, uh, Corey, a friend of yours yeah, and, yeah. And, and fellow hockey bot broadcaster yeah. plays with you a lot. Was Corey also already into it and you two discovered a mutual love or did you get Corey into it? I got or, Corey into okay. it. So me and Corey met like seven or eight years ago. Yeah. And the biggest thing with us was like, we, we do a hockey broadcast. We broadcast the university of Arkansas hockey games. Yeah. Um, and we've been doing that now for about eight years, but a couple of years ago, the pandemic started and I was tired of being inside. This was only yeah. like six months yeah. into the pandemic. I mean, the fact that that went on for another 18 months right. at least, and some could argue it's still going on, Definitely which, gone. yeah, I, I mean, I would totally agree with, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So about, yeah, six months into the pandemic, I was like, I got to get outside Yeah, I got to find something to do that's kind of solitary, but right. like active, you know, active. I was being so inactive for so long. Right. So I started doing disc golf and yeah, I, I dragged him in. And at first he just wasn't sold on it. It was kind of funny. Like he, he actually didn't like it the first like two or three times I brought him out. Hmm. And then it was like with everybody, this is how it is with disc golf. There's like one time you go out and play and everything just kind of clicks a little bit. Yeah. Like it doesn't even take like a big click, right? It doesn't take you like throwing every shot perfectly. No, but a it takes you decent round basically. Well, it takes you throwing like two or three shots yeah. really well. And right. Matt, you know this, right? Yeah. Where you're like, Oh, I threw like a couple of really, really that good went shots. where I wanted that to go. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt good and it felt <laughs> smooth. Like, you know, you start feeling like, Oh, I can do this. Yeah. If I really like focus on how I'm doing everything. Right. And so like, yeah, he started getting really deep into like, form videos and so then i started getting mad into it probably what in the last year uh it's almost maybe even been like two years almost now. Two now i mean at I first it's been three at since first it was probably like i would go out with you once every right. three months so right. it was it was very very slow you couldn't say i was really playing initially right. i was now just I get occasionally joining my now it's i try to go at once least. every couple weeks yeah, yeah at least. I, there was a period there where i was trying to go once a week throughout the summer but it, it it's and then hot. June and, and July got very busy. But hot. in general, I'm trying to go a lot more for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I guess all of this conversation, I wanted to just see where your thoughts are yep. on picking up a new hobby. And like, you know, I you're, you're somebody that likes to be good at things. That's my problem. Right, yeah. right. And I just want you to kind of talk through kind of where you're at with disc golf and really more as a whole, like where you're at with like yourself, yeah. your journey into like, having to be, you know, as somebody, because as somebody who is, is a fellow, I need to be good at things. Right. Person. Right. You know, I know how you're feeling. I just want to see where you're at in that journey of like, you know, you may not quite be where you want to be, yeah. but, but you know, it's, how do you feel? It, uh, I, I definitely have this competitive with myself nature mm -hmm. and it has in the past always been what like pushes me away from a hobby. And it would be very easy for that to remain true with this one however there's a certain freedom in hearing you be like that you've been playing for 10 years and you know maybe maybe six of those years like really earnestly right. putting in the work or whatever right um and to know like to start doing a hobby with somebody who will definitely be better than you for a long time it, it allows a certain freedom to the failures that right. I normally don't allow myself. That's yeah. the difficulty of most of most other hobbies I try to get into is when I fail, it's just like, well, what, that wasn't fun. 
wasn't fun <laughs> to fail. So I'd like to not do that anymore. So right. I guess I'll just bail on this. And uh, instead, like I, I've focused, I've looked at like the video game speedrunning communities a lot. Yeah. And I think I was looking for something to not be good at, but to get better at and, and make the focus finally just be the getting better. And like, I even say that and it's a bit more than I mean, because it's not like I'm, I'm very explicitly like training up, but to just try and lean into the mentality of like, it's totally not a big deal to not be very good right now. And to just be constantly analyzing how you could slightly improve, but also recognizing that analysis is not enough. This is where like board games led me astray. I would say is with a board game. If you can think about it enough, that's, that is the game, right? That that's, that's the figuring out. That's how you get better is just the thinking about it. And then if you think about it enough, you should come out of it with new conclusions that make you better in all of your future games. Right. Whereas to focus on a sport where the physicality and the form matters, I can know how to do a thing, but I then also must execute the thing. And that only comes through repetition, pre- repetition. Right. So like in, in the past, my interests in this sort of area have been things like, I really wanted to be good at Starcraft too. Okay. But the big difference between games that I wanted to get good at is most games that you can get good at have a twitchy, like a twitch reflex nature to them and a a hand-eye coordination to them that is primarily about about reaction time. And uh, A, I don't think I'm very good at that. And B, it it frustrates me to uh, fail at those things. Whereas disc golf is golf. It's just golf. You're just out there and you're taking your time. I mean, you're always you, playing against yourself. You're always course. playing against yourself. But like I do a throw. I don't need to have done the throw faster. <laughs> I don't need to. Right. I'm not responding to anything. Right. And I think that's been the biggest thing for me is I have always had a really difficult time with competitive things because right. primarily if I am intended to be competing against someone i'm mad every time i don't see progress against that person but in disc golf i am not competing with you yeah we're playing at the same time and yeah your score is going to end up being better than mine right but i could play i'm not playing against you but i don't need to respond to you (laughs) in my playing against you i need to improve myself and that is the only way i can improve my score i cannot drag your score down Right. At all. I can't play a better defense. In right, disc golf. right, right, right. That's it's what it all just, comes down you to. You have to play your best game. Right. Which is all golf is anyway. And so it all becomes a self-fulfillment thing no matter right. what. The whole the whole journey, yeah. journey is just a and just just slowly focus on yourself and you'll have good days and you'll have bad days. And it's especially helpful to be out there with you because I know you're good at the game. I know you're definitely better than me at the game. And I still get to see days where you suck at putting, right? <laughs> and then days where you're yeah. amazing at putting and you suck at drives. Yeah. And then days where you're good at everything. And yeah. then days where you're like, and it's like, oh, there's yeah. be, becoming good at the thing doesn't mean you're always good at the thing. Yeah. And that's, that's been the struggle with deal. like 
video games and board games is I've always had this assumption is if I get better, that should mean I'm always better. The, yeah, yeah, you know, like you've you're treating your your progress as a staircase. Yes. Right? I get better and now I'm on this level. Exactly. Whereas it's that's not how progress works. Right. And especially sports can teach you this. And if you're not a sports person, like this is this is what sports has taught me over the years. It's just you you realize there's there's a physical limitation to everything that you can do. Yeah. No matter what. Like at some point you're going to hit your physical cap. Right. Now I'm not saying that your physical cap is like, oh, Matt, you're only ever going to be able to throw 200 feet. Right. You know? right. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, is like you could work hard enough right. to throw 400 feet. Yeah. And I know that sounds like a lot. <laughs> like it's double the distance of <laughs> what, what can you can do. Throw. Yeah. But when you really put it in perspective, like it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility is how much you commit yourself to the thing right mm -hmm. and so when we translate that to like gaming like let's talk about rocket league yeah. for an instance right rocket league has an enormous skills skill yeah. ceiling right. i would even say that rocket league skill ceiling is higher than that of disc golf yeah you know what i'm saying like that's Probably, oh definitely just hand-eye coordination wise just all the things you need to know yeah just to play rocket league right is is just a wealth of information it's a dictionary of information that you just need to know yeah just to kind of even be competent at playing the game right and so you know allowing you know if we can translate some of the things that we learn from like disc golf to speed running or or board games you know it we it's really about you know we need to I say we because I, I also struggle with this where it's like I need to be somebody who who can translate the skill of patience with myself. Yeah, right? right. Because that's really where I get upset and frustrated as well. Like especially in like a game like Rocket League yeah. that I love dearly where I'm just like, how am I so like I'll get there are times where I get angry yeah. at that game. And I'm yeah. like, why am I so angry? Yeah. And I have to reevaluate why I'm where I'm at in anything. Right. Yeah. And it's the same with disc golf. There are days like the other day, I went and shot nine under right. at a course. I had never gone nine under anywhere. Yeah. I just played perfect disc golf. Yeah. And even then, like in that round, like there were a couple of times where I almost took bogeys. I didn't take a bogey in the entire round, which yeah. is incredible. Right. But also like there were times where those things were going to pop up. Yeah. And like those adversities were totally likely. Yeah. And I was wondering how I would respond to those things. And I responded by just focusing on the next thing I had to do. Right. And I think that that can translate so well, you know, it's a little bit faster in Rocket League or a little bit faster in Hollow Knight or yeah. wherever you're, whatever you're doing, but whatever sorts of hurdles you're trying to get through in life can really just be solved by like putting your objectives so close, like putting them one after the other yeah. of exactly what you need to do. Right. And executing each of those things. Yeah. And I think that's, and, uh, and this sounds so silly, but it's helped me be better at Hollow Knight. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. All these you know things are saying? interconnected. Well, that's that's the thing is like what you're trying to take from each of your hobbies and whatever. And like the reason right. all of my hobbies are now podcasts. I think EJ's trying to coax me into doing a disc golf podcast with him probably. <laughs> uh, so, but, but like the reason all of our hobbies turn into these things is because I think we're both self-reflective people that are trying to find ways we're searching for understanding. To, yeah, right? understand and, and, and maybe improve, but like flexible on what it means to improve, basically. Because, right. yeah, I mean, like what you're describing is is the thing that I, I think is 
probably my number one uh, issue when we're out on the disc golf course is the thing we always talk about that what I've been trying to stop doing is keeping track of my score throughout the round. Like now I just let you keep track of my score. And at the end of the round, I check in on how I, I did. tell Maddie's not allowed to look at the score. I'm not allowed to look at the scoreboard because what I would always do is like by hole 16, I'd see where my score was at. And then I'd arbitrarily make some new thing, make, <laughs> make some goal. You make it a goal. I to, have to, to I got to right. hit under 15 over par or right. whatever, wherever I'm at. Right. I, I just suddenly make this, this finish line I need to cross. And, and if I don't cross it, I'll fail. And what I do yeah. is I, I make the shots harder for myself yep. because I'm putting everything on the line right. with this shot rather than I'm just throwing this shot and I, it should be my and goal to make shot. this shot as good as I can. Right. And the, the hardest thing I think to learn is that I'm trying to learn what my capabilities even are are right now that's where my head is at with the sport is when you say matt can you know matt can throw reliably 200 feet right i gotta learn to gauge what 200 feet actually <laughs> looks, like. looks like yeah right i i need to learn that i throw 200 feet and where is that right because i still throw and then the disc doesn't go as far as i thought it was gonna go right and and getting to better understand myself is the only way to improve in these things and like the idea that every time I'm throwing a disc, the goal is not for that disc to go in the basket. <laughs> it can feel like that's a, a, that's a hard lesson to learn that like, I'm not trying to ace every hole, right? I'm trying to get the disc that into the spot. Reliably that's going to make the next the basket. goal. Yes. I want the next throw to be where I also wanted to go. So like, so often I'm, you, you get on to me all the time. Cause I'm like, 50 feet away from the pin <laughs> and I'm trying to get it in the basket. And yeah. it's like, yeah, if you were capable of being yeah, in a putting stance and throwing, that. that would be what you would go for. But that's not your body. That's not, not your capabilities not yet. yet. Not, right. You can yeah. get there, but what would actually improve you is to learn your limitations, right. fight within that and throw the shots that are going to lead to the most success. And you can extend that into like, everything in your life right <laughs> that's the whole idea and that's i think what you and i talk about so often on this show is yes. like why are we Glad doing brought it back to that. yeah yeah <laughs> why are we doing things about kids well we're both going through also the journey of parenthood we both have right. kids and within that we are constantly judging ourselves as fathers and whether or not we're doing something right and i think because we both missed out on so much kids literature, the reason I, it, to me, it is like really rewarding to go back through this stuff is with this lens of like, what do I want to be the things that improve my child's life in the way that I'm just now learning how to do myself and how can I maybe give my kid like a couple a years head start and maybe they won't and maybe who cares, won't. but it's like to, to work at that and, right. and understand my limitations and then improve those limitations is the goal. It is not to be X kind of father. It's to learn what kind of father I am and extend those capabilities. Yeah. I mean, I preach patience all yeah. the time to not just 
people I know in my life, but right. like I, I am a leader at my job, for instance. Right. And one of my jobs is to grow folks into better roles Yeah. Uh, at the company I work for. And yeah, even though the company I work for is amoral and all that stuff, it's like, <laughs> it's like I still... I, I still people. I still owe it to these yeah. folks. I owe it to them to give them the best effort that I have to help them succeed. Mm-hmm. And I tell them the first thing we do uh, anytime a new training class that comes in is we have this meeting where all of our leaders, including myself, go in and we meet the new people who are going to be working, you know, remotely at their job. Yeah. So this is a remote job, and you know, we all have to offer a piece of advice. And my piece of advice is always the same. It's always just be patient with yourself. Let yourself learn yeah. what what your job is right. and 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 grow at your own pace. Yeah. I said eventually, you know, eventually there are things that you're going to need to do, but if you're worried about those things right now, it might hinder the growth that you could potentially have. Right. Just because you're so um, captivated by all of the things that, that you feel like need to be done right now. Yep. And having that right now mentality is not going to get you anywhere if you're not doing the work correctly. Right. You know? yeah. So I think I, and I apply that to my everyday life now, like you said, as, as a father now, as somebody with a child who has a lot of needs and is, yep. uh, is, you know, growing and, and learning on her own. I'm all, you know, one thing that, I have to recognize is that I'm still growing and learning and I don't do everything perfectly all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, and it would be an unrealistic standard for myself to say that I do, that I do fatherhood perfectly because not only would I not grow from that, but my child would, would not be done a good service as well. She would, you know, it'd be a disservice to her because I'm not actually working on myself uh, to that point. So, You know, like I said, I've ex- the reason I preach patience is because it's the thing in my life that I had always needed more of. Yeah. And now I'm at a point in my life where I feel like it's something I've finally learned. Yeah. And it took having a child. Yeah. It took, yeah. you know, extreme amounts of figuring out how to exhibit those things and how to exhibit good nurturing parenting. Yeah. And not, you know, not the toxic parenting you see all the time from other people. Uh, that don't have that, you know, sort of self-actualization that you're trying to achieve. Not yeah. saying that I'm there, but I'm saying like, you know, you were trying to achieve an, an, a, an amount of self-actualization so that your children can eventually achieve that as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that overall what I'm trying to say is that you should all play disc golf <laughs> because it teaches you so many beautiful things yeah. about the world. Read books, play a sport, and uh, love and think about those things. Love and love kids. your kids. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah, man. I tell you, it's to me the biggest like lesson of it all uh-huh. of of how I think about my life is I'm I have to stop striving for finish lines. Yeah, because any finish line I've ever reached. I've reached and then gone, where am I supposed to go next? This was not a finish line. This was a checkpoint. Yeah. <laughs> this was a station or whatever. And, and you like, there's just no such thing as a finish line. So like you want goals to strive towards, but the, like the destination is not 
the goal. This is what people say about board games. Uh, the, the, the destination is not the goal. The goal is having the goal is what is important. The, well, the act of having yeah. a thing to work towards. But, but holding yourself to a standard of completing that goal is actually not very important to me in my life. And because I also, if I think about my child, I have nothing I want of them. You know what I mean? Right. So why do I want anything of myself? If right. I can probably have this conversation with my parents and know they want nothing of me. Right. Nobody's expecting you to do anything right. in your life. Right. So why are you expecting yourself why to do you, anything? Yeah. Why are you trying to uphold the expectations you've put on yourself? Yeah. You know, and obviously there are parents who do have high expectations sure. for their children. And, you know, we, though there are documentaries about those parents because, because <laughs> those never end well. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, just, just trying to provide the best opportunities for our kids to do what they want. The last thing I really wanted to talk about is kind of what you were talking about with checkpoints and failures and successes. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting. I read something the other day. It was just a silly Facebook post, but it was, interesting to me the way that they had approached uh, their idea of success and failure and how humans view failure as, uh, you know, we're very uh, failure oriented, right? Yeah. Um, if something doesn't go right, it's a failure. Like right. if, if, if you, your relationship, you know, you, that you've been in for a long time, right? Like say you're in a relationship for five years and suddenly that relationship ends, we, we define that as a failure. Yeah. Um, instead of just like a thing that happens. Right. right? Um, or or instead of, you know, it was successful for five years. Right. right. You know, that's another way of looking at it. Right. Um, and yeah. just setting up checkpoints in that way where because, Matt, I see you do this a lot where you're like, I've failed at something. Yeah. Sure. And, and there's a definitiveness in the right. way that you say that. Right. Like yeah. when we were playing Rocket League the other day, there was a lot of times where you just made the same. So I failed. Like yeah. I'm failing. I'm not doing well. And, and it's like, and I'm trying to encourage you because not because you're my friend and I want to encourage you, but the other thing I'm trying to encourage you about is this isn't a failure. It's a learning process, right? right? Everything that we're doing is a step towards something better or something more. And we're, we're all, we all have the same terminal uh, fate in this world. It's, it's over at some point. Right. And there's no way that we can sit here and describe everything that we do as a failure or at the end of the day, we're going to have failed yeah. just based on our, our, our outlook on the world. You know what? Uh, we have another interest together that is a perfect allegory for this. Yeah. Uh, we play poker pretty regularly oh, yeah. with each other. Uh-huh. And the hilarious thing to me about poker is this notion that like in poker, there just is a winning hand. Right. Like if you if if you took out all of the other sort of bluffing elements of it, they're just there someone just has the winning hand. And, and very often too, in like amateur poker groups like ours, a lot of times we're just sort of playing out the whole hand to see who won it in the yeah. end. And we're not I, I know I definitely play this way. It's like I just I've done do that not a lot. I don't bluff anywhere close to enough. But if you think about like in your life, you're playing these hands. And you are more or less destined to, like, win that thing or not uh, based on what you have in front of you. Right. And, like, so often in poker, the people who win the hands are just the people who convinced 
everyone else that so they won. The person, that they were a winner. The person who stuck around the longest. Right. The person who persevered the most. And yeah, and was able to con everybody. Lied else. about their capabilities. So what we're saying is lie, lie no. your way. I mean, lie. yeah, sure. But no, but the real but the real point is recognizing right. that it's all flexible. Right. You're you, you can make what you want of it and and like you can when you get really into like watching poker so much of it is breaking down the the statistics of things right. and it's amazing to watch really really smart people talk about poker because i mean the way a hand ended up is just the way that hand ended up yeah. there is not like i i do too much twilight imperium where i convince myself that there was an optimal that there way. was an optimal play and there right. was the correct way to have done the thing that i did when the reality not, yeah. is no, there was like a billion yeah. little microcosms of circumstances that right. led to the thing getting to where it did. And all you are meant to do after the fact is analyze how and why it ended up there. You don't get to re, you don't get to upend it nope. and, and have it have worked out a different way. And there is at no point a right way to do that thing. Just like there's no point, like there isn't a, <laughs> there's not a finish line. The hand ends and then guess what? You play another hand of poker and you do it again and you just keep using your money or whatever. Like you don't ever actually stop doing that. You just build up a new set of circumstances and see where they land. Yeah. Well, Matt, we're almost to Kansas City. We're almost to Kansas City. We're going to go see Sun. Sun is my long lost brother, <laughs> um, who's not actually my brother, but uh, we love Sun very much. I, I told Sun that I, my dad would adopt him. Uh, if you wanted to, so, um, we'll so that see. you could properly be brothers. I now. mean, I would love to be brothers with some, how would cool great. would that be? That would be, great we'd be Christmas the best together. Oh my gosh. So imagine the sweaters we would wear <laughs> together, loving on each other the whole time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't wait to be a part and uh, for him to be a part of our family. Um, what's your favorite book of all time? It's my favorite book of all time. My favorite book of all time is Gravity's... <laughs> That's a really tricky question, I think, for me. I think, uh, you know, I really connected with Shantaram when we read that. But reading some of the comments that other people have yeah, about people Shantaram... People do hate that book. I get it. But, like, I don't know. I just had a different experience yeah. with it, maybe. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, there's several books we've read over the course of Book Club where I've been like really blown away by yeah. how there's just so many talented people in the world. Yeah. Um, and doing this podcast, the same thing, like the folks who write children's books and, and Ursula K. Le Guin would agree with me here, but the folks who write children's books are no less talented. Right. It is. I mean, it's right. They're right there. I mean, it's just like, these are, there, there's so many, I think the one thing that we can glean from this podcast is, there's just so many creative people. There's yeah. so many lovely people. There's so many just very awe-inspiring stories in the world. Yeah. And to really narrow it down to just like one or two things that you've read and be like, this is my favorite thing, right? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would have to say Shantaram just because, but it's just like that's because I had a great experience yeah. listening to that it audio. Struck a chord. Yeah. It struck a chord. Or Sal and Gabby for this podcast yeah. saying, you know, this this that book is incredible. Yeah. But we've read so many incredible books. Right. And we've read what, like twenty to thirty books for our book club, probably yeah. upwards of thirty now. I think so. And you know, 
there's some duds in there for sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we run into duds all the time, but I mean, there's, there's nothing I can say more for literature than in, that it's in a great place. Yeah. We're never going, the, the only problem is going to be <laughs> that there's not like a market for everything always. Sure. Right. And, yeah. and that's, that's going to be the biggest thing going forward. So I, I just, I just really appreciate, you know, what this podcast has done for me. Yeah. You know, whether or not five people listen to it or, you know, however many people in the future might listen to it. I hope you do listen to this episode because I think it's going to be about a lot of, you know, I hope, I hope you glean anything from it, but you know, I, I guess Matt, what's your favorite book? Do you have a similar answer to mine or uh, my <laughs> mostly harmless by Douglas Adams <laughs> done. Good night, everybody. No, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that book was what I was thinking of uh, with, with this uh, question posed to you because that book is uh, Douglas Adams doing everything he does, but it is also specifically about parenthood. And it, uh, I got to read it in uh, I, it's a book I need to reread after having become a father, but it's I I just love his way with words and everything. But I like your points you're making of of just like it's been so much more fun to engage with medium. And honestly, it like it's funny you bring up like if if five people listen to it, if, if however many people listen to it, what I've loved about this show is you and I really only do it for ourselves yeah. and it is a part of this process of just we wanted to read more things and and do a diligent effort to reflect on those right. things that we were reading we were enjoying that with our personal book club we had an interest in reading like young adult novels and so we're just like let's make up let's make an effort to think about the things we've read and, and spend a spend 30 minutes talking about each one of those things so i mean i don't know we're just dads reading books we're just dads reading books 